Welcome to another episode of EPMI Cast. I'm Alice Tadet, Marketing Manager at EPMI. Today, our cast will be discussing the path forward after an organization decides to shift to the cloud. We will be discussing satisfying organization's requirements, project phases, and levels of customization. Today, we have Nihar Parikh, our CEO, Fletcher Cox, our Director of Sales, Katie McCurkle, our Director of Financial Close and Account Reconciliations, and Brian Bowe, our Senior Consultant. So with that being said, Nick Nihar, I'll kick it off to you. And uh, welcome, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good, thank you. Good. Doing awesome. well. Well, um, it's kind of as a, like Alex mentioned, as a follow-up to the last podcast we had, which was, you know, um, a customer's journey to select Oracle Cloud, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about what happens once that selection has been made. And, um, you know, as, as you go through the process of a project, it can really be kind of an emotional event. Uh, I know that each product, project that I've been a part of personally, I can remember vividly several times when things were, um, you know, going really well, several times when you know, we're all worried if we're gonna have jobs the next day, and several times where, you know, we felt really uh, accomplished in what we, um, what we actually came out of the other side with. So um, I think getting into the nuts and bolts of that process is what we're here to talk about today. So um, one of the ways we can maybe kick this off is, you know, um, I guess a question for the sales team, um, you know, what are some of the steps and the ways that you hand off um, a project to the delivery team and how does that transition happen? What do you do in order um, to get, I guess, kicked off? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think um, that's like a really good place to start. I don't know if uh, you guys have seen like a meme. It's about like kind of product development uh, and the handoff between sales, business, and then the actual delivery team. But it's like, you know, the sales team sold this huge mansion, right? And then the business analyst communicated, you know, let's just say an average, you know, ranch style house. And then finally, when the delivery team gets there, it ends up they're building some shack by the sea. Um, so communication, I would say, is really critical um, even before, you know, our own internal project team start talking to the customer. So uh, at least on the sales side, one critical piece is just capturing all information early on and then providing very clear language in the statement of work or executable document, right, in the requirement section. Um, so we can actually state, you know, kind of draw a line in the sand, you know, this is the house we're building, so to speak. Um, so from a process perspective, you know, Nihar, you and I are the ones, you know, building these statements of work. And then internally, you know, we do, do a series of kind of two to three internal kickoffs or handoff sessions where we talk through the project team, uh, kind of refer back to previous successes or previous projects where I think, you know, we've learned a lesson that'll be applicable to this project. Uh, and then, you know, getting the project team up to speed, confirming the resources as well. Right, making sure that all of our resource availability is timed up correctly. They're rolling off projects at the appropriate time. Uh, within EPMI, you know, we typically request what is it, two to four uh, weeks. But if you sign today, you know, we'll get them uh, allocated tomorrow. Um, but just really communication, I would say, is the primary key. And then identifying areas of risk or identifying areas of scope creep, right, if you will, just to make sure there aren't any categories that could just, just turn into ongoing work. Um, one kind of category. Uh, that can always drive project risk is around data cleansing and data validation. Um, and so we like to be pretty upfront with our clients and with our project team that, you know, if you've got a dated chart of accounts or you have some redundant duplicate accounts within your GL structure, you know, we'd want to take care of those first. Yeah, no, all, all really good points. And, you know, I think that really the art in most companies, like if you've ever go, went to a car dealership and not to say that buying software is like buying a car, but if you did go to a car dealership and you try to buy a car, it's a whole different process of actually obtaining a deal on the car 
and deciding on which um, you know, car you're going to go with versus the finance tide where they're, they're going through all the different options and the formats and the extended warranty, right? You feel very, very different in both of those processes. So what we try to do every day is strive towards a more seamless transition from the sales to the delivery team so that those types of hiccups that you didn't know about, you know, with, you know, the $2 a month for the extra coating on, you know, your windshield is not going to be something that, that ruins your experience long-term with the, um, the, the new product that you've purchased, right? And so an implementation is kind of like a three month long cycle of where you're continuously trying to find, you know, the right fit for the organization and the tool. Um, and um, there's, a, there's a definitely a process associated with that. So, you know, I like to kind of, um, you know, kind of, I guess a kickoff, right? Is really where we, where we begin that process, where we bring in everybody from the project managers, the solution architects, the customer uh, client sponsors, uh, so this could be like a VP of FP&A, this could be a CFO, uh, this could be a controller, but really the person whose lives that we're trying to improve and they're the, the, the folks that work with them and, and for them. And um, that kickoff meeting, um, you know, we do an internal kickoff to kind of prepare and then we do an external kickoff with the customer so that we bring the consultants up to speed first and then the customer and the consultants together get to all meet each other and really plan out the project. And so part of that kickoff is going through what the plan for the project is. And at EPMI, we divide our projects into specific phases, just like a lot of other consultants do, not that we're special, but I think where we differentiate a little bit is how we do our design and build phase. But I'd like to turn it over to the delivery team if they have any comments on you know, what those phases are and how you begin like a requirement session, for example. Sure, so I'll take that. So um, the first thing that we do after the kickoff is we start scheduling requirements meetings as Nihar mentioned. So this is where we go through kind of the current state and we try and figure out in the future how things are going to make our clients' lives better. Uh, once we get through the requirement stage, then we go into design and build. Um, so we do take an iterative approach. So what we do is we work with the clients, we figure out the ways best to set up each of the products for them. Then we set up what we've talked about. We do an SME demo to show them what we've set up. And we make changes based on feedback from those demos. Um, so we do that two or three times, depending on the length of the project. So by the time we get to the second or third SME demo, then we actually have a pretty good working system by that time. Uh, we then go into SIT, UAT, and training. Um, this way we have good end user adoption. We make sure that the, uh, the people that are involved in the project project can sign off on what we've done. Um, and then we get to the magical go live point. Uh, Brian, do you want to add anything? Um, no, that pretty much summed up exactly what's going on. Um, the requirements is the big, big portion of it because that's where you marry the statement of work to what is the desired outcome by the client. And so it's, it's also the current state, the end state of the project and the future state of where they would like to be down the road because generally there's more that is wanted once everyone understands how the application works and what they can get out of it what they could get out of it and what they want out of it yeah and i mean you know kind of using 
the, the analogy of like building a house, right? I mean, your statement of work is going to be the same across buying software or building a house. But, you know, you're, you're, what you said, Brian, really resonated because marrying that requirements document to the statement of work is really where a lot of the magic happens. And what we do and what I think that a lot of companies probably do is they, they come up with their high, like must-have requirements, their mediums, which are, well, let's debate this out and see which ones we need to keep absolutely for sure in this phase versus pushing off to a future phase. And the low requirements, things that are nice to have, but maybe not right away. And I think that that prioritization is incredibly important to make sure that we don't have what we call scope creep or really getting beyond the initial scope of the implementation that, that we've signed up for from a timeline and budget perspective. So, um, you know, a lot of IT projects uh, have historically on the on-prem days had you know, not a great track record with success, but, you know, in the cloud, we see 100% success rate. And I think that, you know, Fletcher, you can probably test that too, right? You know, uh, Nihar, we're here for one reason, that's to uh, deliver successful cloud applications like the ones you see behind us. Um, I had a question for Katie and Brian around like the feedback they received during the iterative demos versus the on-premise day. So, you know, if I were building a house, just to continue to go on this metaphor, and maybe we should start selling houses, but, um, you know, you're going to see the house as it's going up, right? You're going to make sure that it's built to spec, that, you know, all the rooms are the right size, you're going to be able to physically walk through it. But in the on-premise days, I don't think we necessarily had the luxury of giving a like a rough draft or like, you know, a, a walkthrough of the application. So I guess, Katie, Brian, my question is, you know, what sort of feedback do you typically receive during these uh, SME walkthroughs or application rough drafts versus, you know, on the on-premise days where they give you the requirements, you know, you wouldn't talk to them for 12 weeks and then you'd show them the final product. So, yeah, so I, we actually built a house in 2018. Um, so we would come over every weekend and see what was happening. And it was super fun to see it. Um, so I guess it'd be like, you know, in on-prem days, like you said, it was, you're kind of locked out of your neighborhood until you can get there when it's done and anything that needed to change, um, you were you were scrambling to get these things done. So a lot of the feedback that we received with the iterative, iterative approach is, you know, a lot of times when we go into that first demo build, um, it's new terminology for clients. Um, so in the account rec world, you know, you may not always understand what a profile is or what a reconciliation is, or, you know, these different terminology things. So when we get to that first demo, they've heard these terms, but they may not, like I said, be as familiar. So we can show them what all of this means. It gets them thinking a little bit more. Oh, okay. I get what we're doing here. So it just, it makes it a little bit better for them to understand what we're building in the system, as opposed to, like you said, just, I'm going to step away for a few months, build this, then right before go live, you're going to see it. Uh, Brian? I mean, that's pretty much spot on. I, I, I can't change anything there. All right, perfect, Katie. So what I'm thinking is, you know, it's just kind of building a sense of familiarity with the UX, with the terminology, because, you know, what I always try to do, you know, whether I'm speaking with an Oracle team or with the customers, get beyond the buzzwords, right? And so when you actually see the application in action, you can see, oh, this is what an account reconciliation really means. This is how automation is applied, right? Beyond just, you know, what I've seen on LinkedIn. Yeah. And so in terms of that account reconciliation example, for instance, I mean, 
you know, you don't necessarily have to build all of your recs out in order to see what it looks like in the cloud. You can do one end-to-end -end process with a customized navigation flow for that specific user's experience to have a test of how does it look like end-to-end? -end. How does it look like if I walk through, you know, just the framing of my house? You don't need to have necessarily the, you know, the all the, um, the walls put in or the appliances in to see what that feels like, right? So I think that that the ability to, to kind of rapidly iterate and build upon the previous phase is something that's really important with the cloud versus the on-prem days where, you know, the typical process, and maybe it didn't have to be that way, but it just turned out that way, was that you couldn't really see much until you were ready to go live. So um, great, yeah, great points. So, um, you know, beyond the, the design and build phase though, let's talk a little bit more about SIT and UAT. Why do we have two different types of testing? Brian? So SIT is, is uh, systems integration testing, UAT is user acceptance testing. So SIT, so one of the, one of the things that you're going to do more than, more than likely is you're going to be feeding your applications with data, whether it's planning or financial close or account recs, you're going to be consuming data into the application to be able to enable your processes to give you the end result. So one of the first things you have to do is build those integrations. So the data moves from you know, place A to place B. And that's part of what it, that operation is in that one, because you wanna make sure that works and can be done. So automation can take place because one of the biggest things about moving to the cloud is to make sure that everything, well, one of the goals would be to make sure everything is faster. You wanna change your month in close from 10 days to five days, or you wanna move up your quarterly budget cycle from three weeks to two weeks. So. The more things that you can integrate and move in faster, the, the speed is of the essence because more than likely with your on-prem applications, you know, and a lot of clients move from on-prem and Excel versions, and that takes a lot of time to download, manipulate, et cetera. These things happen overnight while everyone's asleep. User acceptance testing is then the end users going in and seeing the end result of the efforts of these design and builds and iterative sessions and the integrations. So they can just come in because the planning guy may not care how the integration is done because it's done by the IT team or whomever, and he just wants to see that his quarterly budget spits out the numbers that he is expecting to see. So th that's the differences that I see there. Yeah, and one of the things that we we internally debate about is whether or not you know training should become before UAT or after user acceptance testing because. There's um, there's a there's a trade-off, right? I mean, training an on an application that you've never, um, you know, done before can be helpful when you're going into user acceptance testing because it's hard to test an application you've never seen. But um, with some of these um, iterative sessions, are the clients actually getting into the application, or are they just you know more hands-off watching and seeing what's going on, and they don't really get into the the system until user acceptance testing? How does that work? I would actually say, um, so in the projects that I've been on, we use the the demos throughout the process. So it's kind of many training sessions. Um, we also usually in the in the last few anyway, um, do training before UAT, at least for the group of people that is going to be actually going through the scripts. Um, in the in the past, when we've done training after UAT, it it almost hinders anyone who's testing because they get so used to just going through scripts instead of actually thinking about how the system should work. Um, 
but we do use those demos as like mini training sessions and you know you start off with the really basic settings when you do the first demos you get into more advanced settings as you go through each of these iterative processes so you're kind of training your people up training the client up as you go through the process kind of reminds me of like the the three trimesters of pregnancy and you know <laughs> at, at each stage it's like a different world a, a different experience and once you go live um you know there's there's um you got to be able to run and maintain and um you know what what are the the options that customers have post go live Fletcher? uh well i just want to say just for everybody out there i think uh maintaining a cloud application is much more straightforward than raising a child um but I mean, some of the steps you can take uh, post go live, I mean, a lot of our organizations and uh, let me caveat that by saying, you know, our goal at the end of every go live is to give you the keys to your entire application so that you don't have to call us ever again. Right. That's absolutely the goal. But, you know, much as folks like to, you know, renovate, constantly improve their house, you know, we offer something similar. Um, but uh, on almost all of our projects, we're including about 40 hours or so of uh, ongoing support. A lot of organizations will elect to use that as kind of a customized training or ongoing support during go live. Um, but, you know, I think we like to position ourselves as a partner, not so much to own the application, but to be on call during, you know, high workload times of the year. So a lot of organizations, you know, during annual close, right. They want to have an EPMI resource at hand in case something goes wrong during the budget cycle, right. If they need to generate a report really quickly, but they have a hundred other things they want to do, you know, it's nice to have somebody in your back pocket. You can, you can give a call. So it's not so much, you know, a dependence on EPMI, but more of like, uh, I don't want to say symbiosis, but like, you know, cooperation or, you know, operating towards the same goal that, you know, we are, since we built the application, we know the ins and outs, especially, you know, as folks are onboarding new team members, uh, it can be useful just to have, uh, an EPMI resource on call. So it's kind of like having, you know, an extra set of hands, a nanny, right? You know, somebody who's there whenever you're not available um, to help take care of your, your live application, your live situation. Um, and I think that's exactly right. It's a good sentiment because, you know, like our, our number one goal is to make sure that the customers can sustain themselves. But, you know, in the, in the real world, things happen, you know, people win the lottery, um, you know, people get married, you know, people move on and people do different things. And we want to make sure that the organization's, you know, core critical financial lifeblood and the reporting pipeline is, is still a seamless process. And um, we understand how important that is for executives and their critical decision making, um, you know, uh, uh, that, they, that they need to have a, a critical lifeblood like that um, supported well and um, make sure that it's um, what's available and, and constantly on. Um, you know, there's this one other thing that, you know, comes up in a lot of um, specifically on-prem to cloud customers. And, you know, there's a lot of hesitancy and some, some pause when we talk about building things that are out of the box. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, in, in the Oracle EPM cloud, as we all know, there's a lot of pre-built functionality when it comes to the modules that are available. And, you know, Oracle's got a long history of, of ERP cloud and a lot of modules that are pre-built and have kind of defined paths of implementation. But traditionally in the Hyperion world, we were all used to kind of a blank slate and you could build whatever you wanted to, right? Based on your specific business. But what, what happened over time in the on-prem days at least is that, you know, at least for planning, we saw that there was some standard dimensionality, even for HFM there was, you know, things like accounts and scenarios and periods and years and versions and um, entities, excuse me. 
And so, um, you know, how, how much of this um, pre-built, you know, framework is, is leveraged in the cloud versus, um, you know, how much is actually custom? I don't know, Katie or Brian, if you guys want to speak to that. Um, as far as pre-built versus custom goes, and some of the modules or applications that I've worked with, I mean, I'd say 80-20 pre-built versus customization. And most of the customizations that I have experienced are around, oh, what's the best way to say it? Like operational calculations and how the presentation then wants to be made from the output, you know, as far as like um, reports or cash flows or things like that. You know, so it's usually, usually um, you see like that. I mean, there's so much standardization around, I mean, your income statement, assets and liabilities only work one way, you know? So it's not like you can, you can go in and, and customize, you can customize how they work by math, but not how they work in the world, you know? So everyone's is the same. So like you said, there's a lot of scenarios. They're saying, I mean, people use companies and legal entities and business units and cost centers and revenue accounts, et cetera. So you don't see a lot of people, you know, customizing those except for maybe they may have a dimension that other people don't use on a standard basis like product or you know line of business or something like that yeah is there um you know if an organization has nothing you know it's it may seem maybe better just to adopt some of those pre-built practices so that they have a starting point sometimes so that you're not thinking every about everything from scratch and i know that you know, right now we see a lot of activity in you know the S and P five hundred and small medium sized businesses that are are really just looking for uh, a system to get up and running. And I think you know because the cloud has enabled a lot of these um, uh, smaller enterprises or what we call a growth market um, to um, to to be able to um, you know rapidly close the books to to get the reporting out and also to um, plan and budget and forecast accurately. I think. Is, is a great opportunity to leverage some of these pre-built frameworks and best practices so that they can have, you know, kind of a, a leading, um, you know, at least starting point um, rather to, um, to, get, to get off the ground with um, a, a, a robust financial platform that's going to carry them through when they become, you know, that large publicly traded, you know, um, high market cap firm that's going to have, you know, billions in revenue and, and really grow beyond where they are today. Well, yeah. Just one thing I think I want to add, just, so, I mean, based on my kind of understanding of uh, customization, and apologies if I'm lagging, I'm cutting in now the video, um, but it seems like, at least in my experience, customization is all based on a point in time. You know, this is how our business is operating today. You know, these, this is how we're planning, right? This is what our, our chart of accounts looks like. And so for a lot of organizations, I mean, going back to on-premise days, is, that was just the way it was done, right? Um, and kind of to follow up on what you were saying about maintenance, ongoing support with EPMI, you know, when you go with out-of-box, Oracle is constantly building upon, you know, that as a foundation uh, to move forward, to develop future functionality. So while, you know, maybe today you're planning this way and you can make adjustments to um, your process to fit out a box, you know, that's going to be better in the long term because it's going to continue to support your organization. But, um, you know, while your process might be this way today, you know, business leaders shouldn't be thinking, okay, I just need to do this annual budget. They should be thinking, how is my team or what is my business going to look like five, 10 years down the road? And so by investing in best practices, by investing out of box, you're kind of removing future, you know, upgrade or update bottlenecks when you need to redefine a process, you know, as your business changes. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. So, you know, 
there's um, with the last few minutes we have here, I'd like to cover, you know, maybe a real world example. Um, I know that recently, um, you know, we've had an oil and gas customer here in Houston that migrated from the on-premise application to the cloud. And um, they had a, a very unique footprint around um, some applications like financial close manager, account reconciliations and planning and budgeting. Brian, I know you're a part of that project. Could you talk a little bit about your experience in taking somebody from on-prem to the cloud and kind of some things that, that you might need to look out for or you know, types of resources you need to have available um, or even just data availability or things that you ran into specifically for um, this engagement as we all know that you know, these engagements can be really um, you know, uh, easy when you, look, when you look at the statement of work, but when you actually get into the details, uh, there's always um, some you know, things that come out of the closet. So curious to hear your perspective on that. So with that project specifically, we were, like you said, moving them from an on-premise application to the cloud. And in the beginning, it appeared that it was going to be you know, very simple. The, 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 the business users at the company were, were well-versed in how the on-prem application worked. Um, so cloud was a change, but for the most part, the account reconciliations and the task manager um, in financial close section were 85% similar. I mean, it was a very, very, very short learning curve for them. There were some things from new features, et cetera, that that they had to, to, to learn that was new or just do it as a different step. Um, planning was a little, a little more nuanced. I wouldn't say complicated, but it was a little more nuanced um, as far as new features and, and stuff goes. The, probably the biggest change for them is the reporting section um, because on-prem still, uh, they used uh, FR reporting and in the new cloud application, we were going with the narrative reporting uh, recommendation. And so there wasn't quite a seamless migration there. Um, so we ended up having to use a combination of FR in cloud and narrative reporting in cloud, which added to a little bit of, of, of a little bit of a complexity for us, but nothing, nothing extremely major because then it really all it came down to was formatting of the reports. But as far as the migration goes, I mean, it wasn't terribly difficult and something that you would want to make sure you have on your team is just, you know, competent resources that understand how those different applications work. But as far as the migration went and the transfer from on-prem to cloud went, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Well, you made a really good point about even that formatting issue, though, can really be a bottleneck sometimes when, right. you know, the accounting organizations, as we all kind of know, are, are very uh, particular about how they want their reports to look. And uh, something as simple as a you know bold or a font or you know a line can can really uh, make or break the perception of the tool, and um, you know I think that's uh, while it might seem you know minuscule for somebody who's not uh, familiar with accounting folks, um, I can guarantee you that a lot of my you know, accounting friends would agree that you know they want to make make sure that their reports look exactly how they want them to look. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, long-term, I think that because there's um, a, at least a path forward, you know, a workaround, something that we can leverage to, to make that a little bit more seamless, you know, is always nice to have, um, you know, and, you know, from like, from the, so for that example, right, that's, it seems like it's a customer that's a pretty mature in their, in their cloud processes or in their, um, excuse me, their EPM processes, but they have an, an on-premise tool they want to take to the cloud. 
And so I know that first phase was what we consider or call, you know, a lift and shift, right? We're lifting what we have to the on-premises and we're moving it to the cloud more so, um, you know, more or less as is not really adding too much functionality. Um, but where we see a lot of customers going is where, where this customer is going as well as the second phase would be um, more about enhancing that process, maybe adding some additional functionality, you know, getting some additional return on their license investment. And then to the final phase or the, the third phase rather, which is um, uh, about automating and getting some, um, some real time, you know, data transfers, um, a lot of hands-free activity so that their business process experts can focus more on and analyze the data rather than, you know, moving data from one system to the other. Um, so that's one kind of project that we have is the Hyperion to cloud or the on-prem to cloud type of project. And then I know now, Brian, you and Katie are now on a new engagement that's um, completely from scratch. These guys are coming off a new system um, or sorry, a, a, an existing system that's um, not even Oracle, perhaps um, a very large organization and are looking to implement, you know, the one of the financial close applications, account reconciliations. And so just curious on how these types of large engagements work that are possibly, you know, multi-quarter or multi-year projects. Um, what's, what are some of the similarities or differences between that type of cloud project versus the on-prem and cloud or the on-prem to cloud? So I would say with this particular project that Brian and I are on now, um, because it is a full cloud engagement, so ERP and EPM, um, the timeline is a little bit longer than we're used to, um, especially if it's, you know, on-prem to cloud or an existing other software to Oracle. Um, generally, those tend to be shorter. This one is a little bit more drawn out because it is full cloud. Um, so in this one, we are doing a design process first, and then they're going to go in waves on the ERP and EPM. Um, as Nihar mentioned, it is a very large organization. Um, it's, I think, 14 different companies that are all housed under a parent company. So the waves are based on those particular uh, companies. It's just, it's a little more drawn out than, than your normal update um, from on-prem to cloud or existing to Oracle. Brian? Yeah, I would. I'm, all of that is 100% spot on, but to go back to compare it to a lift and shift uh, or moving from someone who has an existing process to just going from on-prem to cloud is at this new project, like Katie said, we have 14 or 15 different companies who all have a different tool if they have a tool most of them are using excel so they all have different processes different closing times different everything and the goal would be to consolidate them into one process one timeline one tool now they will all still be operating their own close their own reconciliations their own planning and budgeting their own everything no one single group is taking them all on because of the tool but the goal would be to have them all in the same tool so it's universal and everyone gets to use it so this would have a longer learning curve on how to use the tool because we're coming from Excel or a non-Oracle tool. And the design for this is they don't know what they want yet because they use Excel. You know, whereas the lift and shift, they're using an Oracle product and the differences are minor. 
you know, the bulk of your processes and understanding is already known. So, I mean, you know, so it does take longer to do a project like this. Yeah. I think a lot of that is just the size of the organization and the scope of the project, right? So again, back to our original, you know, determination here is that, you know, those requirements in the beginning really define what we're going to be building long-term. And, you know, beyond that, a statement of work is really what drives those requirements. Um, you know, I think that this was really, you know, insightful for me, you know, just having been stepped away from the delivery side for, um, you know, a few years now, I think um, a lot has changed. And uh, it's really exciting because, you know, when we were, you know, building large applications that seemed to be like multi-year phases, and we were just a, a small portion of that life cycle, it's hard to realize some of the value. But now that we're in the cloud, you know, we see organizations that are, you know, with 25 people, um, maybe 10 people sometimes that are able to get up and running rapidly. We use EPM Cloud here internally at EPMI um, versus, you know, some of the largest organizations in the world and how they operate and how they get deployed because you can build, you know, uh, an individual unit for a condo quite easily sometimes if it's part of a building, but, you know, to build that customized mansion uh, in the suburbs can be a very different project, right? So, um, well, thanks everybody. I appreciate your time today. And um, well, you know what? Why don't we just uh, wrap it up there? All right. Thanks Thank everybody. You. Learn something new every time I'm here. Take care guys. Talk to you See soon. See you guys. Bye. Bye y'all. Bye.